Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. Jesus talking, but to you who are listening, are you listening? You know, not everybody who hears is listening, right? Not everybody who claims to be listening is listening, right? So, are we listening? But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat in February, (laughs) do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not Demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now I want you to read with me that verse again. Verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Gosh, Jesus. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the most high because he, God, is kind to the grateful, ungrateful, and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Since the first of this year, we've been in a sermon series called 2020 Vision in 2020. It is a series about worldview. Everybody has a worldview. A worldview is the lens through which we see our world, through which we understand our world, and through which we react to our world. A worldview is the culmination of uh, a life-long series of experiences, raising, geography, faith tradition, politics, movies we've seen and liked, music we like to listen to, mentors we have followed, all of those things pour into what is each of our world views, the lens through which we view our world. In this series, we have zeroed down, we have fastened down on the idea that you and I who claim to be followers of Christ ought to have a Christian worldview. That is, that when you and I look at our world, we ought to be able to look at our world in a different way than folks who are not following Jesus. Because we are looking at our world and reacting, responding to our world based upon a Christian filter that makes what we do different or should make what we do different. Now, the question then is, what is a Christian worldview? What makes up a Christian worldview? And one of the things we have noted is that a Christian worldview should be a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview meaning that as we look at our world and we want to look at it from a Christian perspective, we want to do so based on the scriptures of the Bible. Because the Bible is God's word to us. But we must look at the Bible in, a, in the correct way. Not every interpretation of a particular scripture passage is the correct one. And so as we look at the Bible, and we, we ought to have, must have, as Christians, a biblical worldview, however we interpret 
or understand a biblical passage, the, the, the final and most important step in understanding a biblical passage is that we look at that passage through the lens of Jesus. How would Jesus have responded to this text? How would he feel about this text? You say, well, how am I supposed to know how Jesus feels? We know how Jesus feels by studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels in the New Testament, because in those gospels, we see the life, the ministry, the teaching, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and the painting that we have of Jesus in the four gospels provides for us a very clear filter through which to look at our world biblically. Christian worldview ought to be a biblical worldview filtered through the lens of Jesus. Second, we noted that a Christian worldview ought to be an eternal worldview. Eternal, a word that means quality of now and quantity of later. Normally when we think of the word eternal, we think of everlasting. Well, I have eternal life, meaning I have everlasting life, meaning when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and live forever, eternal, everlasting. And that is true. Everlasting is a component of eternal, but it's not the only component. That's the quantity component, but there's also a quality here and now. And so those of us who, who view our world through an eternal worldview, we want to do everything we can to make sure that the life we're living right now is of the highest quality for us and for everybody that we can influence right here and right now, quality of life. But also, we want to live our lives in such a way that what we do and say right now will result in the highest number of people going to heaven when we all leave here. That's the eternal, everlasting component. So a Christian worldview ought to be biblical, it ought to be eternal. And then today, I want us to address a third component of a Christian worldview, not only biblical, not only uh, eternal, but if we're followers of Jesus Christ, our worldview also ought to be humanitarian. We all should have a humanitarian worldview. That's a long word, humanitarian and humanitarianism. It can get technical, but it doesn't really have to. I mean, humanitarianism is an active belief, active belief, something you believe that you act upon in the value of human life. And what that means is when you look at a person, whether you know them by name or you don't, you look at them and there's one thing about, the, about them that you can go ahead and know, and that is this. You're valuable. And you're valuable. And you're valuable. And you're valuable. And you can say that about everybody. You can say that about the people you know, the people you don't know, the people you like, the people you don't like. You are valuable. Humanitarianism is the active belief in the value of human life that results in us practicing loving, benevolent treatment and providing assistance to other people in order to improve, to better humanity for moral, philanthropic, and for logical reasons. Christians ought to be humanitarian. In fact, we ought to be first in line to be humanitarian. We ought to be the first ones. You say, well, man, that is kind of technical, this humanity. Let me just put it in real simple words. You know what humanitarian means? It means you love people like nobody's business. 
That's really it. Let's just throw out the big old word humanitarian and humanitarianism. Let's just put it this way. Loving people. No matter who they are. A humanitarian, someone who loves people, is someone who is involved in and connected with improving people's lives and reducing suffering. And I will say again, Christians ought to be on the forefront of humanitarianism. We ought to be on the forefront of loving people. World Vision is a Christian humanitarian aid ministry. In fact, it's one of the, of the four largest humanitarian, Christian humanitarian aid agencies in the world, followed by uh, Compassion International, which helps children in third world countries, followed by uh, Food for the Hungry, which of course feeds the hungry. Then you have World Vision, and the fourth largest one is Samaritan's Purse, which is Franklin Graham's uh, ministry. But World Vision has been around a long time. It was founded in 1950 by Robert Pierce. And today, in addition to being one of the top five Christian relief agencies, it, is in, uh, it has presence in a hundred different countries, providing humanitarian aid and a wide range of help to a wide range of people groups. It has a budget of over $2 billion every year. It's not small. And yet they hold themselves accountable to use those funds in the right way. One of the things that they've been doing in the past eight years, they've had a presence in Syria. You may all know, I'm sure you do, that over the past uh, eight years in Syria, there have been 15 million people lost their lives because of the crisis, the civil war that's going on over there. And World Vision is right in the middle of Syria helping these people who are predominantly, not totally, but predominantly Muslim. Why on earth would a Christian relief organization that follows Christ make it part of their major duty to be in a country that's predominantly Muslim helping only Muslims? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, here's what Kent Hill, who is the uh, head of international programs for World Vision U.S. said this. He says, he says, some might ask why as a Christian organization do we expend so many efforts to help an overwhelmingly Muslim population in the Middle East? He says, the first reason is that we began responding to the Syrian conflict because we as Christians have a theological mandate to do all, to, to respond to all in need regardless of their faith tradition. A theological mandate, that means that God has commanded. That's what a theological mandate is. God has commanded us to be about the process of helping other people. And he doesn't just say, now I want you only to provide aid to those who are Christian. He said the second reason, he said, is that we provide to people of, even of other faith traditions because of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said the parable is told in response to a lawyer's question in which he asked Jesus, who is our neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and he talks about this stranger who's in distress and he never identifies the man, Jesus doesn't, who is in such desperate situation. There's no indication of his ethnic background, his religious background, only that he was beaten, robbed, and left half dead. And Kent Hill said, maybe that was precisely the point. It didn't matter that the man 
was of faith or no faith. He said the only thing that mattered was the man was in need. And he said the third reason that we provide help to people, even people who are not Christians, is because that mandate comes directly from Jesus. Helping people. We need to have a humanitarian worldview. Now, let me just brag a minute, not, not on me, but on you, on our church. I, I've pastored three different churches. My dad was a Baptist preacher. Before he retired, he pastored 10 different churches. I've seen a lot of good people, salt of the earth people. I've never seen anybody who loves people like you do. I've never seen anyone who is part, a part of more humanitarian ministries than you all are. I mean, we have a deaf ministry that, that reaches out to those with, with, uh, with special needs and, and those who are deaf. That's humanitarian. We have my brother's ministry that, that writes letters to prisoners incarcerated. That's humanitarian. We have faith writers. The faith writers, they, they do uh, tons of different ministries. One of the things they do, they go into prisons and they share the gospel and love on uh, people who are there. We have a food pantry that's open every Monday night. And we, we don't turn people away. They come and they, they get food that they need. They get clothes that they need. That's a humanitarian we care for foster families. Actually, we need to do more. I appreciate uh, Gail and uh, Morgan Brooks and their foster care ministry. And, and, and I want, and I know they want, I want our church to be even more supportive of them, even to the point of going up to them and say, hey, can I, uh, can, can, can my wife and I, can we babysit for y'all while y'all, y'all go out and eat dinner or something? Amen. Community missions. We have a, a, a line item in our budget that is exclusively devoted to helping people who come to us and they need, uh, they need a place to stay or they need food to eat or they, they need clothes for their children. That's humanitarian. We have a deacon ministry that not only provides security for us on Sunday morning, but they, they reach out to our shut-ins every single week. That's humanitarian. We have Operation Christmas Child that sends these little bitty shoe boxes full of stuff that, that would seem to be of no value to you and me, but we send them out to folks, to families in third world countries, and the kids open up those boxes, and the things that they see in that box that you and I wouldn't value very much, they look at as if it were solid gold humanitarian. Over 20% of the budget that we, you, you give to our church goes to missions directly. So you're humanitarian and I appreciate that. Because a humanitarian is someone who's involved in, in reducing suffering and improving the plight of people. Christians should be humanitarian because humanitarian worldview is supported throughout Scripture. Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him, reward them for what they've done. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, God says, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? 
Isaiah 58, 10. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, saving faith, but has no deeds? Can that kind of faith, such faith, save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Those are just a few of the examples of scriptures that clearly support having a humanitarian worldview. I could, I could give you hundreds more, but we'd be here until Wednesday. It's supported by scripture. Not only that, but a humanitarian worldview is supported, is exemplified by Jesus. And so we should be humanitarians because a humanitarian worldview was played out by Jesus. It was practiced by him in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 25, verses 35 and following. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So this teacher of the law comes up to Jesus. He asks a great question. Lord, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Actually, he didn't ask the question that was on his mind. Because the question on his mind was, Lord, what have I already done that would get me eternal life? Because I know I've already done it. I don't have to do anything else because I've already done it. But he said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus puts it back to him. He said, well, tell me what the commands are. Tell me what the commandments are. And the guy just started rattling them off. Well, uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And just for extra measure, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, all right, go do that and you'll live. You know, the interesting thing about that is that Jesus didn't, in, in response to the man's question, what can I do to have, inherit eternal life? He doesn't go to him and say, well, let's go over the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. C, confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Now, don't hear me saying that there's something wrong with the ABCs. I carry people who want to be saved right through that same thing. Let me take you through the ABCs. A lot of people say we should never help anybody unless we also force them to hear an evangelistic invitation. That sounds great, except for it's not great at all. That's one of the things I love about our, uh, the ministries that I just rattled off for you here. When you, you go to our food pantry and loving buttons on, on uh, Monday night, all of those people want the folks who come in there to be saved if they're not already saved. But what they do not do is say, hey, I'll give you a bag of groceries, but first, 
We got to pray the sinner's prayer. We don't do that. We give with no strings attached because that's the way Jesus did it. This man, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, let's go through the ABC. No, he didn't. He says, I'll tell you what, give me the commandments. I'll give you the command. Okay, then go and do likewise. But who is my neighbor? And so Jesus told him a story. Well, there was this guy who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And if you uh, have ever been that way, you know, that's a bad part of the area. You don't go there at night. You don't drive through there at night. You certainly don't go by yourself. This guy went by himself. And on the way to Jericho, he was uh, attacked by robbers. He was beaten, robbed, and left uh, half dead in the ditch. Okay. And then a priest came by. At this point, I'm really glad that I'm Baptist because in Baptist we don't have priests. And so I don't feel guilty about this bad boy. Except for when I look at it as a priest, I'm not looking, looking at it correctly. Here's what I need to say. This man was left half dead and the pastor of Palmetto Baptist Church came by. And he stopped and he looked at him from, from the other side of the road and then he went on. And then there was a Levite. Levite's a religious guy. But we don't have Levites either, so we don't have to feel guilty about that either. Well, wait a minute. Instead, let's say one of the deacons at Palmetto Baptist Church happened by. And he looked across, he saw the guy, and he went on by. And then a Samaritan came. Who's a Samaritan? Samaritans were half-breed people. They were mixed-race people in Palestine. They were half Jewish, half Gentile. And the Jewish people, especially the Orthodox Jewish people, hated their guts. They hated Gentiles, but they hated Samaritans worse than Gentiles. And so it was shocking when these people listening to this story, they hear Jesus say, and then along came a Samaritan. And he stopped and he went over. And he washed the guy, and he bandaged him, and he picked him up, and he put him on his own donkey, and he carried him to the Holiday Inn Express, and he paid for a week's stay, and he told the guy at the, at the counter, who probably didn't speak English, he said, hey, I want you to keep this guy, and I've given you enough money here to take care of him, but when I come back, if you spent more, I will, I will take care of him more. Who's the Samaritan? Let me tell you who the Samaritan is. This is the way I have to gently say this. Uh, think of the group of people in our world that you despise the most. Think of the group of people in our world that you despise the most, that you have the least regard for. That's the Samaritan. That person that I absolutely can't stand, that group that I absolutely cannot stomach, it was one of them that Jesus made the star of this movie. You know why? Because Jesus wants us to love everybody. 
And if my raising keeps me from loving everybody, if my political beliefs keep me from loving everybody, if my uh, social status keeps me from loving everybody, if, uh, if I'm raised in a such a way that I can't love someone who looks or sounds or believes as I do, then my friend, you know who I have a problem with? Jesus. Because Jesus was humanitarian. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We who claim to follow Jesus, we need to start looking like Jesus. And we need to start making ourselves the kind of loving people that Jesus was. Christian worldview ought to be biblical, eternal, humanitarian. Humanitarian reaches out to people and tries to better humanity. It's based on scripture. It's exemplified by Jesus. Now, let me, let me just close with this. I've often wondered as I read the story of the Good Samaritan, what if Jesus had told it a little bit differently? What if when, when, the, when the priest, the pastor, came by? What if when he looked over there at that guy who's beaten up, what if he looked over there and saw that it wasn't just anybody, it was one of his own sons? You think he'd have just kept going down the road? Huh? I don't think so either. I think he'd have stopped. I think he'd have cleared the rest of his calendar for that day. I think he'd have thrown down any bags he had, and he would have gone down there because that was his son. But you know what? The guy wasn't his son, was it? And so he kept on going. So maybe that's the key. Listen to me. That person or persons or that group that you don't like, that you and I don't like, do this. Look at the picture of that person or that group, and on the faces of, that, of the people in that group, put the face of your child or your mother or your father. And you know what's going to happen if you do that, if you truly do that? You're going to love that person. Because you are related to that person. Are you listening? Okay. Let's pray. I love you, Lord. I'm kind of selfish. I love you because before I even ever thought about you, you love me. Before any of us ever thought about you, before any of us even thought about anything, you loved us. Because that's who you are. You want us to look at our world in a humanitarian way, in a way that says, I am going to love this person. I'm going to love these people. And if we love like you do, we're going to love the folks that nobody else wanted to hang out with, nobody else thought was worth respecting, 
because they're the type of people you loved first. When, when are we going to wake up, Lord? Open our ears that we will listen. Open our eyes that we will see. So that we'll love like you do. And Lord, I'm going to go this far. If we're not willing to listen to you. If we're not listen, willing to open our eyes and see other people the way you do. Then I pray that you would slam shut our eyes. Stop up our ears. Slam shut our Bibles and close up our hymnals. And judge us. The way you, we judge people we don't like. That's a hard thing to pray for, Lord, but I pray that you would rain down your judgment on us until we wake up. And start loving people the way you do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.